Buju Waji Kaye Pindigin Chi Anishinaabe History Podcast. Chris Waite in edition Akas. Ani Neji Ayan. Today we're talking about languages. Right now on Earth, there are thousands of languages, not just dialects, actually distinct languages. On top of that, there are pigeons, jargons, and creoles. I myself like knowing the etymology of words. Etymology basically means the study of the history of a word. For instance, in this episode's opening, I said buju and wajie. If you don't already know, these are two words in the Anishinaabe language to say hello. Both buju and wajie are derived from European languages. Buju is from the French bonjour, and wajie is from the English phrase what cheer. In the opening, I also said anin ejiayen, which is a more traditional Anishinaabe way of saying what's happening. I wish that I spoke Anishinaabe Moan like a native speaker, but the language wasn't spoken in my home. Ojibwe is my mother's mother tongue, but I speak English only fluently. I didn't really begin learning Ojibwe until I was in my teens. My mom had a book of legends sitting on the shelf, and the book had a glossary. I would try pronouncing Ojibwe words from the glossary, and my mom would sometimes hear me and sometimes try to correct me. I would try a couple times correcting the pronunciation, but it was never quite right. I couldn't speak Ojibwe like my mom spoke it. I can't remember if she got frustrated or if I did, but those mini lessons were few and far between. So I don't speak Ojibwe, but I study it. One of the resources I use is Frederick Baraga's Dictionary of the Ojibwe Language. Baraga was a Catholic missionary priest sent to live amongst the Lake Superior Ojibwe in 1835. He learned the Ojibwe language over the years while living amongst them in what is now northern Minnesota. In 1853, he published his dictionary. It's thick. The dialect is a bit different than what my mom would speak, but it's good enough for me. Beggars can't be choosers. A long time ago, I took a semester of Latin. I can't speak Latin, maybe because it's a dead language, but also because it was only one semester. Learning Latin has been useful in learning Anishinaabe history because it is useful to know some Latin when reading parts of the treaties signed between various First Nations and various North American governments. For instance, Treaty No. 1, which is the first of the numbered treaties, has the much-focused-upon phrase, quote, Seed, release, surrender, and yield up to Her Majesty, the Queen, and successors forever, all the lands included within the following limits. End quote. The treaty then goes on to describe the geographic boundaries. Each successive numbered treaty is somewhat the same, if you don't count the controversial outside promises. But that's another topic. More to the point, it can be seen why the phrase seed, release, surrender, and yield up has been much focused on in conversations about Aboriginal treaty rights. But what does the word seed mean? It is spelled C-E-D-E, not S-E-E-D. Seed is a Latin root word that comes to English via French. The Latin word is cadera, which means to yield, give way, go. Seed is the root for many English words such as ancestor, 
which means someone who went before. Additionally, concede means to give away completely. To proceed is to go forward. To recede is to go back. And lastly, to succeed is to come close after. So what did First Nations people get in return for ceding land where land was indeed ceded? In Treaty Number 1, there is a promise to build a school on each reserve. Here is an excerpt from that treaty. Quote, Her Majesty agrees to maintain a school on each reserve hereby made whenever the Indians of the reserve should desire it. End quote. There is also an agreed allotment of land to each family. One-time gifts were given to the First Nations people as well. The Crown gave each native man, woman, and child $3 for behavior and good conduct. Treaty No. 1 also allotted $15 per year thereafter to treaty members. Later numbered treaties would be somewhat different as we will explore in future episodes. Treaty No. 1 also allowed for the provisioning of animals to the First Nations, that is, if the natives were ready to receive the farm animals. There were also plows available to use, if ground cultivation were to occur in the European fashion. It should be known that a memorandum of outside promises included in Treaty No. 1 includes the caveat, quote, These animals and their issue are to be government property, but to be allowed for the use of the Indians, under the superintendence and control of the Indian Commissioner, end quote. It is important to realize that many native people could engage in agriculture, but their traditional system was different. For instance, Chief Piguis and his people grew corn that was transplanted from the Sault Ste. Marie area to the Red River area in the 1790s. It is important to also know that many Indian commissioners were unscrupulous and sometimes tyrannical. Generally, the overall intent of the treaties that led towards the Consolidated Indian Act of 1876 was to cajole, coerce, and even force native people to give up their traditions and fully adopt European methodologies. Remember, Treaty No. 1 was signed in 1871, and America had just won its first civil war. It was the sunset era of the so-called Indian Wars and it was also around the time of the extirpation of the buffalo herds. It is very important to understand that these were the conditions under which Treaty No. 1 was signed. Thusly, treaties were seen as a way for native people to maintain their lands and cultures for future generations. In North America, that is, in Canada and the United States of America, there are hundreds of treaties between native people of different nations and the incoming colonizers. An early treaty that predates the founding of both Canada and the United States is the Royal Proclamation of 1763. The Royal Proclamation is an important document when understanding Aboriginal land titles. Why? What does the document say? The proclamation was issued by King George III of Britain. His military had just defeated the French in the First Global War. The war, called the Seven Years' War, was fought in Europe, India, at sea, and in the New World. Because of his victory, King George III was feeling quite confident in the 1760s. So, he claimed ownership 
of what is now North America. But in the proclamation, he explicitly acknowledges existing Aboriginal title to traditional lands. Furthermore, the proclamation forbade settlers from claiming Aboriginal land. According to the proclamation, land could only be purchased from the natives by the Crown, and settlers could only purchase land from the Crown as well. Additionally, the proclamation states that land is Aboriginal land unless and until it is ceded by treaty to the Crown. There's that word, ceded. It is important to know that in Canada there are still, in 2019, unceded First Nations territories. Wikwemakong is one example. Back in 1763, King George III wanted to establish the fact that there were already existing sovereign nations in the New World, and that the Crown of Britain was willing to establish fair land use treaties as part of its dominion. Let me quote from the proclamation itself. Quote, and we do further declare it to be our royal will and pleasure, for the present as aforesaid, to reserve under our sovereignty, protection, and dominion, for the use of the said Indians, all the lands and territories not included within the limits of our said three new governments, or within the limits of the territory granted to the Hudson's Bay Company, as also all the lands and territories lying to the westward of the sources of the rivers which fall into the sea from the west and northwest as aforesaid. And we do hereby strictly forbid, on pain of our displeasure, all our loving subjects from making any purchases or settlements whatever, or taking possession of any of the lands above reserved, without our especial leave and license for that purpose first obtained. And we do further strictly enjoin and require all persons whatever who have either willfully or inadvertently seated themselves upon any lands within the countries above described, or upon any other lands which, not having been ceded to or purchased by us, are still reserved to the said Indians as aforesaid, forthwith to remove themselves from such settlements." End quote. That was way back in 1763. Since that time, hundreds of other treaties were entered into by various First Nations with the British colonies, i.e. Canada and America. Each treaty is different and each has its own context. We will look at other treaties in future episodes, working our way through the numbered treaties as well as American treaties that have impacted Anishinaabe people on both sides of the quote-unquote medicine line. That's all for today's podcast, but stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.